tonight, as we continue in worship, we're going to look into and start a brand new series here, and, and then we're going to come back and worship a, a couple more songs, give us some space to contemplate, kind of reflect a little bit. And so again, if you're uh, new here, I'm Jack, one of the pastors, and it's, a, it's an honor to have you here. And, and I hope that maybe we look into uh, an, an, a very ancient text tonight, in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're kind of new to the Bible, you open up to the middle, that's, you should be kind of near Psalms. Then you go Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, or you pull out your smartphone, type in ECC, and there, there you are. Uh, so uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 is where we're going to start, but to kind of set this up a little bit, uh, I, I want you to come with me to my breakfast table this morning as I'm sitting here with my two daughters and my beautiful wife who is much smarter and much better in life than I am, and we're sitting here and I've made cinnamon rolls. <sighs> Not from scratch, mind you, but from a tube and uh, with icing that makes it better. So I, I go to, we, we were serving the this, you know, cinnamon rolls and I realized um, there's really not adequate, um, I should have bought two tubes and didn't think about that. And so I'm like, well, okay, I'll take one for the team and I'll have an English muffin. <sighs> Can we just, um, just pause there for a second? That's a bad trade, okay? Um, so. I'm sitting here, and they've got like three cinnamon rolls, two cinnamon rolls, three cinnamon rolls, and I got two English muffins with peanut butter on them, and just realizing it's kind of like the old Sesame Street song, you know, one of these things is not like the other, and, um, and, and what you realize in that moment is it's not like the other, it's different, it's unique, and in that case, in my case, in that moment, it's less than, let's be honest. Um, so, but when we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, it's kind of like that. It's the English muffin. It, it, there's something about it. You're like, it's not sweet. You know, it doesn't have icing on it, where uh, like the gospel accounts, and you look at other books in the Bible, and you're just kind of, it's kind of like that like burnt English muffin, in a way. That when you look at Ecclesiastes, you kind of go, ugh. And, and in fact, a lot of people don't even get into reading it because it's just tough. Let's be honest. Like, you feel like you need a Prozac uh, halfway through. It's just there's something about it that just seems really depressing. And so I thought it'd be a great book for us to go through. Um, so we're gonna do that for a few weeks. <laughs> so I, I think at the end of this you'll thank me. Uh, I hope. Um, and uh, I think it'll be something that you'll you'll glean a lot from, and that you'll get some understanding from. But I want us to kind of uh, tonight's kind of laying the groundwork. So I'm gonna give you a lot of info type thing, but I want us to wrestle with something coming out of chapter one that I think will set kind of the foundation for the next few weeks that we spend in here. And we try to do this um, every year. We, we kind of go through a book of the Old Testament. We go through a book of the New Testament. You may not have even noticed that or known that, but that's what we're doing. <laughs> um, so we do that every year. And then we do some topical stuff and things like that. So if this isn't your cup of tea, we don't stay with us for a few weeks and it'll change. Um, but so Ecclesiastes is a difficult book, but I want us to kind of go through it because I think it has a secret that we need to learn. If you just look at the book of Ecclesiastes, really what you're looking at is someone wrestling with the deep questions of life. Like, where do we come from? Where are we going? Why am I here? You know, as Christians, those who have come into a place where they've trusted Jesus, and if you want to follow along on version, you can follow along with the notes on there, just look for live events. Um, we we kind of come from a filter that says, hey, you know, where did we come from? Well, we, we came from God. Where are we going? Well, we're going to God. Why am I here? Well, I'm here for God. 
and that's kind of the frame of reference, kind of the lens that we see life through, or, or we hope that maybe God's awakening that kind of lens within us, and that we see these things, we begin to wrestle with some stuff. But Solomon is the one who's credited with writing the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, he wrote three books of the Bible. Um, he wrote Song of Solomon, which I'm pretty sure he wrote pretty young in life, because um, it's all about vitality and other things. And so um, it's a healthy life for him. And so I think that's younger in life. Proverbs, he's written, it's kind of categorized, you can read it elsewhere. Most scholars believe maybe around 3,000 Proverbs that he recorded. We had the book of Proverbs that we've gone through before in a series we call it Seek Wisdom. And uh, he wrote a bunch of these wise sayings and said, hey, seek wisdom with everything you got because God made him kind of the salutatorian of life. Jesus is the valedictorian of life. He's the wisest person who's ever lived and is still living. And Solomon was kind of the salutatorian, the kind of runner-up, because he had this thing that you can read about in 1 Kings chapter 3. He takes over the kingdom. Remember, kind of his life uh, is, comes from the line of David. And his, his life would kind of make an epic movie, really. I mean, David, uh, you know, Solomon's mom was actually the wife of someone else that David, you know, kind of saw bathing one time and was like, hey, she's cute, and then called her over, and they hung out. Um, and then, like, a baby showed up. Um, so then that baby was taken uh, away and died, and, and David kind of got back on the right track because, like, he had her wife, uh, her husband killed in battle and murder and adultery, and it's all part of the story. And, um, and then he realized Solomon comes along, and, and he comes into power, and he takes over the kingship after David dies and he is consolidated and really Israel experiences probably 40 plus years of the most peace they've ever experienced. And Solomon has incredible wealth. And into this uh, scenario, 1 Kings chapter 3, you can read about it, uh, God meets him in one moment and it says, Solomon, I'll give you any request that you want. It's kind of like a mini genie moment, okay? Like a genie would show up, but this is God. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, shows up and says, Solomon, I'll give you, I'll grant you one request. What would you request? I've got a few rattling around in my brain. Um, wisdom wasn't on the list, uh, in my list, in my brain, and I don't know if it was for you, but that's what Solomon asked for. You can read it in 1 Kings chapter 3. And God is so pleased with this that he gives him everything else. He gives him peace. He gives him wisdom. He's the wisest person to walk the planet outside of Jesus. And so he's experiencing something, and then he kind of makes his life this experiment. And in the pursuit, somewhere along the way here, he kind of goes away from his background, goes away from the way he's been raised, goes away. He, he kind of goes into this crazy stuff, and we'll unpack a little bit of his journey. He kind of turns his life into this experiment of pursuing what the good life really is. And we live in a culture that pursues the good life, correct? In fact, there's a lot of different ingredients that are kind of thrown in your face and thrown in my face to say this is what the good life is really about. And so when you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, you have to understand, okay, this is wisdom literature. Probably, my guess is, um, written toward the tail end of Solomon's life. And he's kind of looking back. It's kind of like... Um, it's kind of like an old grandpa, okay, sitting on the front porch in the rocking chair, looking back over his life and over this life experiment and, and pursuit of what he thought the good life was. And now he's trying to tell this next generation 
and impart some truths to them. And that's what we're going to look at through this. So history is, Ecclesiastes written about a thousand years before Jesus. Uh, we kind of heard about his heritage and his family a little bit, what's going on. Again, you can read 1 Kings chapter 3 uh, and, and this whole idea of why he's given wisdom. And God says, you're going to be the wisest person that's ever lived. And yet he goes off this pursuit. And so he kind of takes his life as this experiment. He becomes the researcher and the subject of his experiment. And it's kinda, he kind of takes the old adage, uh, don't knock it till you try it. He kind of takes that to like on steroids. And he says, I'm going to experience life and everything life has to offer and see if I can find the good life or meaning and significance in that. If Bill Gates, Stephen Hawking, Hugh Hefner somehow morphed into one person and simultaneously was the pope and the president, that person would be Solomon. So think about that combo. Whoa. Remember, he reigned as king. This wasn't a democracy. This wasn't like a democracy on steroids either. This wasn't like, hey, guys, what do you think I should do? No, this was, hey, I'm going to do this today. And he would do it. He was the law because he was king. And he reigned as king. He could do whatever he wanted. And he had unlimited resources. You study throughout history and you realize that foreign kings and, and foreign leaders would come and they would meet with Solomon. There was something about the way he led, the resources he had, and this period of history where he is sought after. He's born into this amazing affluence and it just grows. And he could do anything. And he sought the best that life had to offer. And then he came to a realization. After he kind of got sideways spiritually, he got sideways in a lot of different things. And he comes to this conclusion at the end that nothing rivals life. Live simply in obedience to God. If I had to boil it down to a sentence, that's what it would be. I think he's reflecting back at the end of his life. That maybe Song of Solomon's written early on and then Proverbs gathered throughout life. And I think he's sitting on the front porch as a grandfather type and he's come to this realization. He's looking back and he's just lamenting in a lot of ways. In fact, can I just read um, Ecclesiastes to you? Here, I, I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. I think we may tackle some of this series in it because I think it has verbiage and wording and the way that we would speak and the way we can understand it. Here's what he says. Here's how he starts his book. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely Meaningless. You and I greet each other today. We're like, hey, how's it going? Meaningless. Wouldn't that be awkward? Like you're walking down the street and <laughs> just, hey, how's your day going? It's meaningless. How's your family? <laughs> That's meaningless too. What'd you have for what? Meaningless. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go meaningless. Wherever you're going, it's meaningless. So what do people get? For all their hard work under the sun, generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south, then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. 
and the water returns again to rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome, beyond description. No matter how much you see, you are never satisfied. No matter how much you hear, you can, uh, you're never content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Some people say, hey, I have something new, but actually it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and future generations. No one will remember what we are doing now. I'm just reading from the Bible. I, the teacher, was king of Israel, lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything been done under heaven. And I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really it's all meaningless, like chasing after the wind. <laughs> That'll help book sales. You ever felt like that in life? Where stuff just happens and you're like, that's Solomon. That's this book. It's strange. It's not like the others. It's unique. It's, it's an English muffin compared to a cinnamon roll. It's, it's weird. It's hard to get your mind around. It's not something that you necessarily chase after and like, but I want us to kind of wrestle through this a little bit, because I think there's some truths hidden in here that I think God wants to have wrestle with our own hearts, and especially for you younger generation. I think there's some things here that Solomon has hidden that you might find life-giving, even though it doesn't sound like it when you first read it. What's interesting is Solomon has this word that he uses, meaningless, meaningless, it's everything is meaningless, is in Hebrew the word hebel. Hebel is a hard word to try to translate and get specifically what it means. So I'll just give you some of the things it talks about. It's the idea of meaningless, the idea of vanity, the idea of just emptiness. It's an idea of kind of like this vapor or this mist, this thing that you can't really get your arms around or grab hold of, it's elusive, it's fleeting, it's wispy, it's quickly passing. Meaningless, meaningless. Maybe that's why James writes. In James chapter 4, he talks about this understanding. He says, look, uh, you, you try to make these plans and you have these plans, but the reality is you don't know your life. What is your life? It's like a mist that's here today and gone tomorrow. And it has this pace to it that sometimes you feel like it takes forever to have anything to happen. And other times you wake up and you realize years have gone by and you barely blinked. It's this mist and you can't get your arms around it. You went through life and it's the struggle is where is the meaning and where is the significance? He begins to unpack maybe the key phrase in all of chapter one is this, all of life, this life that's under the sun. That's the key phrase. Life under the sun. Well, what does Solomon mean by that? What does he mean by under the sun? I mean, here's a guy who's full, but he's completely empty in what he's found and what he's tried to discover in this whole life experiment that he's gone after. And I think it gives us a clue. What's interesting is this phrase is used about 29 different times 
throughout the 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes, under the sun, life under the sun, our humanity under the sun or under heaven. And you'll read that phrase throughout here. It's literally kind of this godless life lived solely uh, by the limits of what we can get our arms around and what we can see, taste, and feel and experience. It's without any word from God or any relevance of God in life. It's to use a word like from your conservative grandma. She'd say it's the worldly life. It's the life that doesn't consider God or his ways or his revelation in anything that you see or do or decisions you make. It's just this, that's under the sun. That's how people approach life when you're living under the sun. And what he's saying is you chase after all these things under the sun and with this mentality and this approach to life, and it's meaningless. Even the joys that you experience have a shelf life to them. Even the things that you treasure, they're gone so fast. Are you depressed yet? Because that's how you really feel when you begin to read through this book. You begin to understand every generation thinks it's the one. And it's been that way from the very beginning. History repeats itself, he says. See, life as the world sees it, or as the world portrays it, is life under the sun. And for all of us here, we've chased that life. You've chased after that life to, to gain the benefits or to say, okay, I'm going to understand the good life. If I just get this job, if I just get to this pay level, if I just get through this year of school, if I just get through this, if I just accomplish this, if I just achieve this, if I just acquire this, whatever this is, it holds this promise, doesn't it, that it's going to be better. And then six months later, there's a new this sometimes six weeks later, sometimes six minutes later. And some of you know that journey. I just got to have this hit. I just got to have this hit, and as soon as I have that, life will be good. But then you wake up the next day, and you need another. And you know that journey. Every generation goes through this. And Solomon is saying, this, if you run life from the vantage point of living life under the sun, and just from a worldly perspective, and you could pursue all these things, and even if you get your arms around them, it's meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. It's like trying to grab this vapor. And you can run really hard, and you can run with great passion, and you can run with perseverance, and you can run hard. And the problem is you're running on a treadmill, and you're not going anywhere. It's not getting you anywhere. It's not taking you anywhere. And so, Grandpa Solomon, after this lifelong journey, I mean, you think your family gatherings were crazy? <laughs> this dude had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I mean, literally could eat a meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner, with every one of them, it would, like, take a whole year. Like, if you thought Thanksgiving was tough at your house, I mean, just, it's crazy what he put his life into. We're going to unpack some of that. It's the riches that he chased, the building projects that he took on, the things that he went after and, and accomplished so much, did so much, and he still wakes up realizing it's empty, it's meaningless. The beauty of Ecclesiastes is it's not just an old book. It's a timeless book. It wasn't just written for a time. It's timeless in its truths. 
It's an eternal book. It's not just a book for yesterday. It's a book for your everyday. And with brutal honesty, Ecclesiastes isn't a hug from Olaf. It's like a punch in the gut from a dear friend. It's like that. And I think that's why some people don't want to study it, don't want to look into it. And so the the struggle with is, how do you understand something from Solomon's life? I mean, Solomon really could have been the first American, right? I mean, let's just examine. His fridge was full. His bank account was full. His social calendar was full. His health was full. The wall of awards and accomplishments was full. His bedroom was full. His mind was full. He's the smartest guy outside of Jesus. His hobbies and his vacations were full. His homes, his garages were full. And yet he was empty. You ever felt like that? Do you know people who talk like that? This life under the sun. It's meaningless, he says. C.S. Lewis writes this, God can't give us peace and happiness apart from himself because there is no such thing. God can't give us peace and happiness apart from himself because there is no such thing. I think he's quoting Solomon. And Solomon, in his discovery, comes to this place where he's everything is full and yet it's still empty. And this pursuit of his life is just saying, look, it's just in the way. It's like he begins to point back and to say, if all you're aiming at is life under the sun and just acquiring those things that life under the sun says, this is the good life, it's meaningless. It's like a chasing after the wind. So if the good life isn't found in life under the sun, Maybe we need to look elsewhere. And Ecclesiastes is an interesting book because God never makes the highlight reel here. In fact, it's one of the only books, I believe, I think Esther's kind of like this too, that like God doesn't have a starring role, doesn't have an active voice within this whole book. It's this whole pursuit of Solomon kind of giving up on his faith in some ways and kind of getting detoured away and chasing after all these things. And I think in this old age, kind of coming back and realizing, man, I missed it. My approach to life led me to an emptiness that no matter what I tried to fill it with, it was still hollow. Life under the sun really doesn't produce life. So maybe we need to look elsewhere. What if there was a God who lived above the sun, who lived outside. And and maybe, maybe the way things worked in his reign, in his kingdom, maybe they were perfect, where they weren't broken and falling apart and people weren't hurting one another and, and things weren't hollow and the joys of life weren't just having a shelf life that faded and eroded away. And what if things, the way he seed it and the way that he created it to be, what if it could exist out there, and what if what if he decided to just kind of give us a glimpse of what it could be? And what if he would break into our existence and kind of put on display how we can begin to taste and see that kind of life above the sun? 
and maybe Ecclesiastes, in a small, quiet whisper, is actually shouting about Jesus and about the life that we cherish and the life that we look to. And maybe you're here and you're on a spiritual journey and someone brought you and it's awesome. And you're like, Jesus, okay, he's a nice guy. He's a got history dude. And he did some nice things and he taught well and he seemed to walk on water. That's pretty cool. And so here's my invitation to you. Journey with us through this series. And even though Jesus isn't in Ecclesiastes, I think what you'll begin to see is this perspective change between life under the sun and life above the sun. And maybe there's something that exists there that begins to call us to something more and to something greater. If you've ever been to Adventure Camp or watched a Bear Grylls, Bear Grylls, right? I say Grylls, it's like Grimace, but actually that would be a fun show, Grimace as Bear. So anyway, um, so... <clears throat> bear, you know, and you go to adventure camps and stuff like that, and they kind of tell you, hey, there's five things that you really, you need in life, okay? A car's nice, but you don't need it, okay? Like, you need what? Food. Like, you got to have food, right? You need what? Water. You got to have water. You need air, like you got to breathe, right? You need clothing of some sort, even though, like, that Naked and Afraid show, that's just weird. And so, like, that's 30 days, okay? You can't go beyond. And so, anyway, um, so, like, then... Like, you need shelter of some sort to, like, kind of shelter you from the, the conditions of life and things around you. So you need those five things, and you can survive. You can make it. And I would argue that you need one more. You need hope. You, you've got to have hope. Because life under the sun, it just kind of drains the hope out of you. It just kind of sucks the life out of you. And we all have stories where our hope meter has gone really, really low. And if you don't have hope, then just pursuing accomplishments and achievements and things that you can acquire here in this, man, it's really short-lived, isn't it? I mean, it feels like you grab it and then it's gone. And you feel like you attain it and then it slips through your fingers. And, and what you really need to understand is that hope is something that I think the Bible begins to speak to. And I think that's what Solomon is leaning back into as he's saying life under the sun, just pursued from a worldly perspective. It may be fun for moments. And it may have a flash of good things, but in the end, it does not bring the good life that you really want and that you really pursue. But if there's a better life, if there's a life above the sun, maybe, just maybe, that life would be refreshing and life-giving to you. Life lived apart from God is meaningless. Life lived with God has meaning and deep significance. Solomon is kind of setting the table in this chapter one to kind of whet your appetite because he's not serving up a lot of hope here. In fact, it's a lot of depression, but he's kind of whetting your appetite to say there's got to be something more, and he's going to get to that. It's like a good restaurant. When you go and you have an appetizer, and if you don't eat all of it <laughs> by yourself, then you're like ready for more. Like you want and you have a craving for something a little bit more, and that's why they bring the main course. It's like 
Solomon is kind of wetting our appetite, setting up an appetizer for us to say there has to be something more. Jesus kind of spoke in that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It's this amazing truth that there is a hunger and thirst above the sun. Jesus steps into life, and he begins to point people to a different thing, to life maybe above the sun, not just under the sun. Maybe there's really, the divine can really get into the life of humanity. And he begins to speak some incredible truths. In fact, you look at Matthew um, chapter 5, he says this, he's speaking to this group of people that are gathered there, the Sermon on the Mount, he says to them, you Oftentimes, he would say, I'm the light of the world, and I've come to kind of show the way. And then he kind of flips it here and and turns the coin. He says, you, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they let it shine so that others can see. You let your good deeds shine in such a way that people turn in the direction of your heavenly Father begin to point to him and begin to get curious about him, begin to to get a a hunger and a thirst to begin to understand what's that about. Because I think what Jesus is doing is he's picking up on what Solomon is saying is life under the sun, if you just live this life, it's not enough. What if there's something more? And what if your life can be leveraged for something more and something greater? And what if your life can begin to pursue that? What if that's really the story that's going on? Here's the bottom line that I wrote. It's more of a question than a statement. Are you concentrating on living under the sun by the world's priorities and perspectives? Or is your focus above the sun, with the sun, and living by God's priorities and God's perspectives? Under the sun, above the sun. How you approach life really comes down to that decision. What's your perspective? What's your focus? Where is your eyes and the eyes of your heart aimed at? The great thing that we're going to celebrate here in a second as we take communion, as we continue in worship, is that we have Jesus who stepped into our John chapter 1 talks about he, he kind of moved in among us. The light has come. People crave the darkness. They crave living life under the sun and in this darkness and in this only pursuit. But there was a glimmer. There was someone who came, Jesus who came. And he lived his life and he gave his life and he took it back again to show that life above the sun a different perspective, a different approach is available and accessible to those who turn in God's direction. That's the gospel. And so as you take communion tonight, I'm going to pray for us in a moment. We're going to continue to worship and invite the team back up. And as we do that, as you hold that bread and as you hold that cup, if you choose to do that, you're welcome to as a follower of Jesus. And and we invite you to. I want you to think about Where's my focus? Is my focus? Has my focus drifted into just kind of being about the priorities and the perspectives of life under the sun? And just the things I can chase after, the things I can try to glean from, the things I can kind of go for? 
Or has my perspective, um, do I have a laser-like focus on life above the sun, living life with the sun who has rescued me and who saved me and my perspectives and my, my principles and my pursuits are kind of aimed and anchored to life with God? Because that's really what Solomon is, is calling us to wrestle with here. That's what he's doing throughout this whole book. It, it's not something that's going to be light and fluffy. It's challenging. It's kind of saying, hey, where are you at? It's kind of grabbing you by the shoulders and saying, where's your focus? Under the sun or above the sun with me? Under the sun with yourself and by yourself with the people you can gather around you? Or is it above the sun? kind of with me and the people I bring around you. Where are you at in that? And so, Father, I pray, as we move toward a time of communion, as we hold that bread, as we drink that juice and remember the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, and how he called us to, to be the light of the world, not just the people who are consumed with our own pursuits, but who are enfolded into a much, much bigger story, who live with a perspective that our lives do matter. They do have meaning. They do have significance, not because of the things we can get, but the things that we've been saved from, saved into, and the ways that we can impact and to shine around us. That those who are wandering in humanity that's walking about in life under the sun begins to see a breakthrough that maybe there's another life and another approach to life that sparked something, that begins to, begins to bring a curiosity about you. So, Father, as we take communion, uh, I pray that you would stir our hearts to really ask the contemplative, reflective question. Where am I at? Where's my focus at? Under the sun? above the sun. That's the two choices I got. And I have to choose one. So what will I choose this week? And the week to come? And the month after that? And the year after that? And maybe you and God just have a conversation about where the focus is, where it needs to be, and allow Him to begin to draw you to something bigger, to something more. Father, we love you. We thank you that you broke into our lives, that you took the first step. You pursued us first. We remember that. As we worship you in communion, as we worship you in song, would you stir our hearts in the moments to come?